This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Attention BetMGM customers. Have a friend who loves sports as much as you do? Here's a chance for both of you to earn a $50 bonus when they sign up through BetMGM's Refer-A-Friend program. Just sign into your BetMGM account and click on the Refer-A-Friend program to send your friend a message inviting them to register a new account in the same state you use BetMGM in. Once your friend signs up and makes a deposit, they'll receive a $50 bonus. And once your friend places a bet with their bonus and the wager is settled, you'll receive a $50 bonus as well. Share the excitement and get a $50 bonus every time you refer a friend to BetMGM. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Ohio only. New and existing customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets. Bonus bets expire in 30 days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Introducing the Lowe's List for Innovation. While our aisles are filled with innovative products, we've selected our favorites just for you. Like the exclusive Whirlpool washer with industry-first two-in-one removable agitator. We love this washer because you can customize any load. And with other smart features to streamline your laundry routine, this product is a must-have for families. Shop the full Lowe's list of top picks at Lowe's.com. Lowe's, home to any budget, home to any possibility. U.S. only. It's another film study as we look ahead. There's only two games left in the regular season. Week 16 coming up with the Giants. Ken McCusick, how you doing? Life's good, Josh. How about you? I'm doing well. It's, uh, it's probably Christmas Eve when people are listening to this. So Merry Christmas to those that are doing that. And uh, it's exciting that we've got football Friday, Saturday, Sunday this week. Is there a Monday night also? Is there, there a is. Monday night game? Yes. All right. All right, so a lot of football for us coming on this weekend, and we're going to break down the Giants game this weekend. And uh, joining us is Nick uh, Filato. I always get the names wrong, even though you just told me, from the Big Blue View and the Big Blue Banter podcast. Nick, how's it going? Going well. It's going really well, guys. I mean, it would be a lot better if the Giants weren't facing the Baltimore Ravens in Baltimore or at all this weekend. <laughs> but overall, I could say it's... Going pretty well. Division's still up in the air, but I don't have a lot of hope for the Giants to seize that with all the other teams in the division looking much better than the Giants recently. 
Yeah, it's, it doesn't seem like the Giants have looked bad. It, when, will getting Daniel Jones back help this team enough to put him over the hump? I think getting Daniel, a healthy Daniel Jones back would assist this team for sure, but I don't think he's going to ever be back to full health, even if he does play this week, which isn't a foregone conclusion. He's rehabbing an ankle injury. He still has that hamstring injury, and if you remove Daniel Jones' ability to maneuver the pocket and escape with his legs, then I think you're, you're going to limit his upside. So I think it would be much better than a Colt McCoy-led offense for sure, but this offense has just kind of bogged down the last couple weeks ever since that Seattle victory, really, and mm-hmm. it's, it's unfortunate. All right, so let's talk a little bit about the season to date for the Giants and get into some of the things that, that we like to talk about. The, take us maybe through the landscape and the ebb and flow of the season in terms of the big moments. Obviously, the Giants didn't start out great. Take us through the story. Yeah, the Giants started out 0-5 and 1-7. and But honestly, Ken, Josh, they were quietly competitive in a lot of those games. 17-13 loss to the Bears, 17-9 loss to the Rams, 25-23 loss against Tampa Bay, which was purely really on Daniel Jones. That loss was pretty bad, to be honest, and obviously it was on primetime television. I mean, I think the only game that Daniel Jones played worse than that game may have been Week 17 last season against Philadelphia. That Tampa loss was rough. So was the Week 5 loss against Dallas and the Week 7 loss to the Eagles. But the Giants had late leads. They allowed both those teams to score as time was running out, essentially. But this season, guys, the Giants' defense has been very good, all things considering. Those two divisional losses, though, they really, really sting. However, the Giants got hot, mounted that four-game winning streak, beating the football team, the Eagles, the Bengals, and the Seahawks before losing the last two games to the Cardinals and the Browns. And that Seahawk win at Lumen Field looks like it's going to be the highlight, the high mark of the season. There was no Daniel Jones in that game. The defense just really suffocated Russell Wilson and that Seattle offensive line. I mean, I think there's a lot of credit that can be heaped on the defensive coordinator, Patrick Graham. I feel like it's very, very deserving. The Giants really have no edge rushers right now. They're playing a six-round linebacker at a Penn State named Cam Brown, seventh-round pick out of Minnesota named Carter Coughlin. <laughs> And Nico Lalos, who's an undrafted rookie out of Dartmouth, along with David frickin' Mayo on the edge. I'm not mm. even making that up. It's not a great situation. It wasn't really a great situation yeah, to be. Ravens with. fans complain about their edge rushers at this point, but it's still a question of do we activate Ward or not as a sixth outside linebacker? But they, you know, they have Judon and Bowser and McPhee and, and players who can make a contribution to the pass rush. Just no real star. No real star, exactly. And even going into this season with the Giants, if I'm going to be honest, I mean, the Giants had Lorenzo Carter, who they were hoping for that breakout season. He was a third-round draft pick back in 2018. O'Shane Zimenez was a third-round draft pick last season. And then Kyler Fackrell, who is a solid player, just got activated off the IR. I'm not sure if he's going to play quite yet, but we should find that out as the season progresses. But there's just, going into the season, the edge group was pretty weak, and now it's very, very weak. Did and they make any attempt to re-sign Marcus Golden? Well, they did resign Marcus Golden. They uh, brought him back, and then they traded him to the Arizona Cardinals for for late for late draft uh, picks earlier in this season. And then Marcus Golden had the game against them. But earlier in this year, Marcus Golden was a giant for I think it was the first six or seven weeks of the season. Okay, so a little bit like Ngakwe in terms of being unloaded when they thought they were out of it, and they weren't, as it turned out. Yeah, the thing with Marcus Golden too, he was never an excellent scheme fit for Patrick Graham. He definitely fits much better in what James Betcher wanted to run. And Marcus Golden's much more of a 
edge kind of player, pass rusher pure, and he doesn't necessarily do a great job dropping into space, which is something that Kyler Fackrell, O'Shane Zemedes, Lorenzo Carter, and some of these other edge rushers, Carter Coughlin, Cam Brown, something those guys are tasked to do in Patrick Graham's system. All right. Interesting. I do want to talk about that more. Talk about a little bit about the draft and maybe some of the developmental surprises this year. One of the players you guys got, uh, obviously Thomas in the first round, uh, you know, a big deal and and has been playing. Uh, McKinney was the guy I loved. I really would have preferred, honestly, on draft day. And I'm not going to be revisionist at all that, that they would have taken him and not Patrick Queen. And and then Peart in the third round, a very interesting guy with some of the longest arms in NFL combine history. Yeah, and on Matt Parrott, he's playing too. But it's start with Andrew Thomas. It's been a roller coaster year for Thomas for sure. He struggled significantly after week one. He actually played pretty well in week one against Bud Dupree. But from week two till the Buccaneers game, he struggled. Couldn't protect his inside shoulder whatsoever, especially on counter moves. He was constantly oversetting to protect his outside shoulder because he didn't have a lot of confidence with his footwork kind of being retooled at the NFL level. It seemed like his punch, his placement timing was all just off. He was never really playing with a good, solid center of gravity or any sort of balance. Kind of just no particular injury of, involved in this. This was no, this was all just no. Hmm. It wasn't because of an injury. He spoke after Mark Colombo was relieved by the New York Giants about how, well, actually Georgia's head coach spoke about how he's getting back to the basics and kind of playing like the player he was at Georgia. It seemed like maybe at the NFL level, Mark Colombo was trying to retool his set to, I guess, maximize what he thought could work best for Andrew Thomas, and it just never really worked out. I think that was probably a bad idea in hindsight In hindsight, with the, the truncated offseason and everything like that. But Andrew Thomas got off to just a very, very rough start. However, since that Tampa Bay game, he has been pretty solid. He's now only second in the league in pressures allowed behind Jamar Taylor, but he allowed, I think he's allowed nine sacks on the season. To be fair, since that Tampa Bay game, it's only really been the Cardinals game where he struggled, but the entire line was struggled. They were out-schemed by Vance Joseph in that game. It was kind of just nuts. They just kept running double stunts to each side, and the Giants really couldn't figure out how to block it correctly, which way should Nick Gates go, and then it really relied on excellent transitions from the guards and the centers, and the stunts were so well-timed, and they would sugar the A-gap and keep linebackers there to kind of hold those guards in place just for a second. And there were a lot of pressures on Daniel Jones, who played in that game, played injured in that game, did not necessarily work all that well. And as for Xavier McKinney, I mean, he broke his foot in training camp, and he just came back, I think it was in week 12, just started seeing significant snaps against the Cardinals because Darnay Holmes, the Giants' fourth-round pick, was out with a knee injury. And I think McKinney, I think he's going to be a good player. He seems comfortable and balanced in the defense, but he's still getting his feet wet, and he doesn't have that many reps under his belt whatsoever. And then you have Matt Parrott and Shane Lemieux. I'll group in there. Parrott, third-round pick. Shane Lemieux, a fifth-round pick. And they both kind of ingratiated their way into the offense earning snaps. The Giants use these rotations on the offensive line where mm-hmm. Parrott will fill in for Cam Fleming. Lemieux would fill in for Will Hernandez. But now Will Hernandez doesn't really start. It's much more Shane Lemieux. Hernandez ended up on the COVID-19 list, missed a game or two, and then Lemieux came in, the line gelled. I think it wasn't just because of Lemieux. I think there were a lot of other factors. But since then, Lemieux has been dominating the snaps. But they'll still bring Hernandez in for one or two series. And I think Lemieux is a good player. I think he's a slight upgrade, actually, as a pulling guard again, uh, versus Will Hernandez when in terms of their counter-trap kind of offense that they like to run, that power running game. I think he's better in that aspect. But Will Hernandez is a much better pass protector. I think Lemieux is somewhat of a liability in pass protection. He just hasn't grown there quite yet. 
And as far as Parrot, he's exceeding my expectations in terms of his play strength and his run blocking ability, but he's still a bit raw with his pass sets. Length is absolutely excellent, but there have been times where he's allowed pass rushers kind of to get into his body and just rip through his outside shoulder, get underneath him, not allow him to utilize his length, and he's been susceptible to some bad reps just through that. All right, let's talk about a, a couple things here, and we, we kind of go position by position. So we're going to go back, get back to the offensive line in a, in a minute, and I do want to go in some more detail about each player as we go across the line because I think that's the best way to do it. But let's talk about developmental players first because what I consider there, and it's a critical year for this across the NFL, are the third and fourth year players. Who do the Giants need to retain and who might they want to sign early to a long-term deal among their threes? Among their three-year players, Will Hernandez was a player at the beginning of the season, and I said that they would probably look to retain. He was the 34th pick back mm-hmm. in 2018, but now with Shane Lemieux stepping in, it doesn't seem like maybe Will Hernandez maybe had fallen out of favor, something like that, with this coaching staff. So that's somebody that I question. I would have definitely said Lorenzo Carter, but now he had an Achilles injury, and you don't know how he's going to rehab and come back from that injury. And if you go back to that 2017 draft, you did pick up Evan Ingram's fifth-year option. You now have Jabril Peppers after the Odell Beckham trade. I think Evan Ingram may be in the long-term, the long-term plans for the New York Giants. A lot of Giants fans, though, probably don't feel excellent about that. It's kind of wild. Evan Ingram made the Pro Bowl, and Giant fans are just roasting the dude on Twitter. He's just an enigma. It's it's kind of unfortunate because he does make a lot of boneheaded plays. He drops passes and he does things like that. And it's unfortunate, but he's still an incredible athlete at the position and he's a playmaker. And the Giants without Saquon Barkley don't really have playmakers. So I think having someone like Evan Ingram on the team long term is probably a wise move. It just depends on the price for sure. I think Jabril Peppers is definitely somebody that you're going to have to sign when that contract runs out. Luckily, they have that fifth-year option for next year, but he's been an absolute stud this year, and I don't think he's being talked about quite enough around the NFL for how effective he's been in Patrick Graham's defense. And then there's B.J. Hill, who is a pass-rushing kind of defensive lineman who's more of a one-gap guy against the run, but he has very, very active and violent hands, but Giants kind of have a ton of defensive linemen. Defensive linemen they're going to have to retain, because if we're going to even stray away from third-year players other than Dalvin Tomlinson, who's somebody that I'm about to talk about, you have Leonard Williams, you have Dalvin Thompson, you have Logan Ryan, who are all going to be free agents this year. And that's unfortunate because they're all playing really, really good football. And I'm not sure what the Giants are going to do. Leonard Williams is playing himself into a massive contract. Now, I don't believe it will be Aaron Donald money, like he has said in the past that he wants, but he's probably going to get north of what Chris Jones just signed for, which was four years, 85 million, 60 million guaranteed. And then I look at Dalvin Tomlinson, who I think is vital to this defense as well because he plays nose tackle for them. He can two gap and he can just anchor and eat double teams while also adding just a very effective nature against the run. He doesn't really have that much pass rush upside, but I feel like he's just disruptive getting in the pocket when he has to be. And he has shown the ability to get to the quarterback, but that's not his game. He's probably going to sign a contract around maybe slightly north of what Javon Hargrave signed this offseason with the Eagles. Three years, 39 million, 26 million guaranteed. I would love to retain both of them. I don't know if the Giants are going to be able to. And if I had to pick one, it'd probably be Leonard Williams off of his versatility. Sure. And then oh, there's little- let, me, let me ask you this. I, I've yeah. got to stop you here. Um, are, are the Giants in the middle of the league in cap space for 2021? Every team is going to have the same COVID cap kind of problems. I think there's going to be a lot of fourth and fifth year butts hanging out there without a contract, frankly, that are going to be available 
to be picked over by the few teams that really have money. Obviously, Belichick manipulated the cap and has money. Uh, the Jets have money. Other teams have money. Uh, but but the Giants are in that middle position where they really need to be very, very frugal with their dollars. The Ravens are in the same spot. And they're not in the Steelers spot where they're going to have to cut salaries to meet payroll kind of thing. But they, but they are in a difficult spot. So prioritize for us now. Who's the guy one, two, three that you'd you'd like to keep among the among the developmentals? And is there anybody, given the ten million dollar cap number I'm seeing for next year, that they extend early and try and get at a bargain? Are we going to include Leonard Williams and Dalvin Tomlinson in this impending Absolutely. free agent? Yes, I would have to say Leonard Williams, then probably Dalvin Tomlinson, honestly, and then Logan Ryan, just because mm-hmm. the Giants do have Julian Love, who isn't exact isn't is still learning the safety position and had to play cornerback last week, which didn't go all that well. It's what he played at Notre Dame, but it didn't go all that well. But you also have Xavier McKinney who can fill that role. I think Logan Ryan is essential to this team, but I think another championship-ready team will look what he did with the Giants and sign him and pluck him and give him more money. He seems to love the New York area, love the Giants. He's from this area, went to Rutgers. But I'm not uh, exactly confident the Giants will end up retaining him. So I probably would go with Leonard Williams and then Dalvin Tomlinson. And that sounds redundant, but if you watch the team, you see they play two totally different positions despite the fact that they're both defensive linemen and they do two totally different roles in Patrick Graham's system. So let's talk Let's talk a little bit Ryan for a minute because he was with Tennessee, of course, last year and was a player who had a hand in kind of shutting down, uh, to- or shutting down Lamar in the playoff game. He had a hard time finding a job this offseason, a very hard time finding a contract that he thought was right. And he's now 30 also, or will be in, in a couple of months. Is he a guy that fits into the, the Giants' plans? I hear you talking about him glowingly, and, and it, you know, it seems like he's had a decent year, but is he really a guy that Giants, a team like the Giants that's you know, maybe on the upswing or maybe you know, still a, a couple of years away, would have as part of a rebuilding plan? I honestly would be fine with bringing him back because of the effect that he has in Patrick Graham's system in the secondary. I know that kind of sounds sounds a little ridiculous because, like you said, the Giants aren't a rebuilding plan, but I think you can flip the script in a year. And having someone like Logan Ryan, a, a foundational piece, somebody who knows to win on a, in a locker room that's the youngest in the NFL – while he's still playing at a high level, I would love that. But it's a business. and What's, I don't what's know. the price then on, on Logan Ryan? Because it's right player, right price here in Baltimore. What's the price on Logan Ryan? You know, another, the reason why it took a while to sign him was because he was demanding a decent amount sure. of money uh, last offseason. He had a lot of t- uh, suitors, but he was demanding a lot of money. And then I think it was after the Sam Beal opt-out and the DeAndre Baker situation, the Giants gave him, I don't think it was quite what he wanted, but that's when he kind of came out of free agency mm-hmm. and went to New York but I would say probably he's going to land a two-year deal, maybe maybe 23, something like that. Oh, wow. Oh, that's that's way more than I would go on him. All right. That's, uh, that, that w- that's very significant money. I, I, I don't think he'll make that much. You know, okay. he's, he's, his deal is done, right? It's, it's COVID, baby. I mean, there just will not be a lot of suitors this year. If there were, if there were a few suitors for Ryan last year— at 29, even with an additional year, I don't think I, I think you'll get him much cheaper than that. Let's put it that way. I would hope so, but I'm yeah. not even sure if the Giants are going to look in that because of their cap situation. Mm-hmm. All right, well, interesting. I mean, he's obviously very important to the defense. Let's let's move on a little bit. Uh, the other key contract situations that exist are there any others where they're at the end of the line with a player that they're definitely going to cut, going to you know have to make a tough decision on in year four of a five year deal? Anything like that going on? Yeah, I think Kevin Zeitler is the big name right now. I, I don't want to cut Kevin Zeitler. He's, I believe, 30 years old right now. 
and he make, he's going to be making solid money next season, but he's also a big part of what the Giants can do. And I think if you have this young quarterback in Daniel Jones, you're trying to establish the run whenever Saquon Barkley comes back healthy. I think having that veteran at guard who's still playing at a good level is going to be advantageous for your offense. So I really don't want to get rid of Kevin Zeitler. He's a name. Then Golden Tate is a name. I think he's definitely going to be a cap casualty at the end of the season. And then the interesting one, Ken, is Nate Solder. Because mm-hmm. Nate Solder was going to be the easy lock it, he's going to be cut next season type of player because the dead cap next season was going to drop significantly on his contract. But he opted out of the season, and he was a high-risk opt-out because he's a cancer survivor. So his contract rolls to the next season now, and that means that dead cap's going to roll to the next season. And I don't, oh, know, if no. the Giants, yeah, I don't know if the <laughs> Giants are going to be able to get out of that now at this point so that kind of throws a wrench into their whole plans to kind of get away from that Nate Solder contract a lot of people forget about him because he hasn't been around the team at all this year but that contract will still be there so that's definitely going to be something to uh to monitor through the next season so I'm looking at at over the cap right now it looks like he has 10.4 million negative cap hit if he's cut if this is 2020 again for his purposes that's pretty bad it's not it's not a great situation yeah all right. Well, hopefully he can come back, be healthy and whatnot. He's 32 now, so yeah, it's getting he, up there. He was a and I and I like Nate Solder because I haven't met him, but I've heard so many glowing things about his personality and what he does for the locker room. But he was a revolving door in Daniel Jones's first year. Mm-hmm. He was he was he was pre, he played pretty poorly, and a lot of people think maybe he was a bit more injured than what he led on. But even still, it was a he led, I want to say he led the league in pressures easily, and I think. The right tackle, uh, Mike Remmers, was up there, too, as one of the highest. He might have even been second. So Daniel Jones was just under pressure like crazy in 2019. And early in this season, he had to deal with similar things. I'm very clearly getting this love of offensive line play, and I love that. We'll come back to that in just a moment, okay? Because I want to talk about the offense. Let's start at quarterback because that's where everybody wants to start. Talk to us a little bit about Daniel Jones, what his future is, how he fits with this offense, his strengths and weaknesses. And remember, we're talking to a Ravens audience that has not seen Daniel Jones play a lot. Okay, so I believe the Giants can build around a player like Daniel Jones. And I feel like Jones, he's someone that you can win with in the league, but he may need a bit of a stronger supporting cast. Like I think of someone like Ryan Tannehill in that respect, where if he got this nice supporting cast, you can win with a player like this. I don't think Daniel Jones is a Justin Herbert or a Deshaun Watson, a quarterback that can put the team on his back. He was never that type of player. You know, that, that was never his game whatsoever. I do believe people kind of look at Jones' stats and they rely on their draft takes and they think he's the biggest bust in the world. I, I evaluated Jones coming out of college before he was the Giants' selection. I didn't love the draft pick at all. I thought it was a reach. I had a second-round grade on him. But he showed a lot of promise in his, second, or in his rookie season with Pat Shermer. He had a better arm talent than I expected. He threw a very nice deep ball. He had no issue attacking defenses downfield, especially when they were in man coverage. But he was just a bit reckless with the football at times. This season, though, I I just don't think this is the best offense for him with Jason Garrett right now. I I think the reason the stats are kind of bad is also it's a collective thing, including the coaching staff, the offensive play caller mainly. Mm -hmm. I think Jones has shown progress this season on tape in terms of using his eyes to hold safeties, manipulate the safeties in that way, making timely throws up the seam. I think he has shown signs of getting better maneuvering in the pocket with his foot, with his feet and his footwork and things like that, extending plays with his legs, something that he did his rookie season and something that he continued to do this year at a pretty high level. 
I think the Cardinals game, he was beat up. He couldn't do that, and that's another reason why he looked so bad. He just couldn't use his legs, like I mentioned before. And it's unfortunate that Daniel Jones had the worst game of his career against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers where everyone saw him like that. Mm -hmm. But I do believe he's a better football player than that. I think he has his faults. He tries to play hero ball a bit too much. I feel he could do a better job seeing post-snap coverages and knowing based on the coverage that a third or fourth read in the progression may be open. But instead, he sometimes gets locked on to that number one read and gets a little bit too patient with it instead of coming off of it. I think those are things that he can work on for sure. But, Ken, I, I do believe the Giants could win with him, but this isn't the – it's not the new flashy toy at all. I think he's going to need that strong supporting cast, and he's going to need a play caller that can probably maximize the receivers a little bit more, give them an ability to create yards after the catch to allow this offense to flourish a little bit better. You know, it's really funny because if you look at PFF, they basically have Lamar Jackson in the middle of the pack and Daniel Jones right there with him. Uh, it's, it would be like there's no difference between that. There are certain similarities in terms of some mobility we've certainly seen from Jones in terms of long runs. But how would you relatively look at those two quarterbacks and if you're building your franchise? I mean, obviously, I think Daniel Jones you know, may bring more in the pocket uh, later on in his career, but it's not obvious to me he's there now. I wouldn't say it's, it's 100% obvious, mainly because it's not consistent. And uh, Lamar Jackson is just a much more dynamic player than Daniel Jones. And I'm not saying, I'm not trying to make the comparison between Daniel Jones and Lamar Jackson whatsoever. Lamar Jackson does have Greg Roman. He has a very good system around him. Daniel Jones is on his third system in three years. I think that plays into it. But Lamar Jackson's playmaking ability with the ball in his hands, is there's no one that can hold a candle to it. Obviously, everybody who listens to this podcast, that's a dynamic part of his game. I think Daniel Jones, he's dynamic with the football in his hands, for sure. It's nowhere near what Lamar can do. And I also don't think Daniel Jones uses it enough to uh, to the level that probably Lamar has used it. But in terms of throwing the football, uh, I think Daniel Jones against man coverage has showed a lot of ability, especially pa- passing the ball down the field when he gets one-on-ones, trusting his receivers, putting a really pretty nice deep ball out there for players to catch. Zone coverage in his rookie season, he definitely struggled with. I think he did a little bit of a better job with it this season. But again, I don't think the system maximizes his skill set or really the receiver's ability to create those yards after the catch, which are so, which lead to explosive plays and explosive plays is kind of what helps you win football games. Mm-hmm. All right. All right. Well, that's a good, good primer on Daniel Jones. Let's move on. You've talked a little bit about each of these guys, but it kind of not, not going through systemically. Try to go through from left tackle to right tackle. Tell us who's there right now and what kind of strengths they bring to the table. Yeah. Andrew Thomas. So the Giants run a lot of power gap type stuff. So there's a lot of pin pull. There's a lot of things like that. So you're going to be have a lot of, down blocks and things of that nature. And Andrew Mm -hmm. Thomas is excellent doing that. I believe that as a pass protector, he's come along so much from the beginning of the season. He's the left tackle. He has some reps under his belt now. He's handling counter moves much better. He has a strong punch, a firm base, can still get off balance, can still get caught leaning sometimes, but has done a much better job securing his inside and outside shoulder. And you can kind of trust him on an island a little bit more now. So he's definitely come along to a much better degree than what 
a lot of us expected because it started off pretty ugly and we heard and saw Dredrick Wills and we heard and saw Tristan Wirfs and Makai Becton, who's in the same city as us. And mm-hmm. like, damn, the Giants had the first pick and we took this guy who's struggling like crazy. He stabilized a lot and he only gave up one sack last week and I think it was the only pressure he gave up to Miles Garrett. He did a solid job against him. And then at left guard, it's going to be Shane Lemieux. And you're going to see Will Hernandez in a couple of series because the Giants like to rotate them, but it's going to be Shane Lemieux who against the run, he's excellent pulling and trapping and lead blocking on single pulling kind of plays. I think as a run blocker, just on duo. Just to stop you for a second here, the Giants' run game is primarily right-handed, or does he pull to the left as well? He, he, pulls, to the, he pulls to the right on his side. Okay. Yes. Okay, he's, he plays left guard, he pulls right. That's a standard power run blocking kind of pull. Some, some teams, they, they have the short pulls or even longer pulls by the, to, going to the left by a left guard as well. I just wanted to make sure we're, like we're a, talking like G- apples and oranges. Like a G lead? Yeah, like like a, a, a one-gap pull. I don't know the term G lead, but a one-gap pull or a multi-gap pull that goes around a tackle and a tight end to the left, to their same side. Yeah, the Giants don't do that as often. I think we've I've seen it before, but their main running play is counter and duo. That's what they mm-hmm. really like to run, just create those double teams, climb to the second level, and hit the first person you see. On their counter play, they usually have Caden Smith, who's their second tight end who lines up at H-back, he comes around, flies into the hole, then the trapper would be that backside guard, usually Shane Lemieux, sometimes it's Kevin Zeitler, depending on the direction they're running the counter, and then Wayne Gallman and Alfred Morris hit the hole, and Caden Smith just flies around like a maniac and hits the first person who presents themselves near the hole. But that's their main running plays, but Shane Lemieux does that well. I think in pass protection, the Ravens are probably going to have a pretty strong advantage, Ken, to be honest, because Shane Lemieux has some liabilities in pass protection. The Right off the snap, if you can hit him with a quick power move, a quick club or a quick hand swipe when he's trying to present his hands, you can kind of get him to lean forward a lot and set him up for an additional counter move. Swim, something that he's really, really struggled with. When he stepped in against Tampa Bay, he got abused by William Golston, Adama Kansu, but it was his first start, but it's kind of been persistent. I feel like it's gotten better, and then last week you saw it again, him to continue to struggle. So I think in pass protection... It, Lemieux is definitely someone that struggles and somebody that the Ravens can probably take advantage of. When Will Hernandez is in there, he's better in pass protection, but he's a bit more lumbering. He's a bit slower as a puller, and I think that's the reason why Lemieux is probably starting. Then you have center. Two, two specifics. Let's go. I, I need to take you back before we get way, way out of here. Okay. The At left tackle, Andrew Thomas, you mentioned some of the some abilities that seemed like because he's unsure of left shoulder, right shoulder, that he might not be the kind of guy who likes to get fanned out onto an island all alone on that left side. The Ravens have Yannick Ngakwe, definitely plays a single arm technique and a chop move where he has the ability to force that left tackle way to the outside on his own and create all kinds of B-gap opportunity for other players. Is, is that something that you think Thomas can handle against Ngakwe, or is it something that might really give him trouble? I think the speed of Ngakwe could give him trouble up that arc, like you're saying. I think, well, what the Giants do, they kind of do end up trusting him out there on an island a decent amount because you have Cam Fleming on the right side, and he's somebody that you're kind of probably going to want to slide protection to if you have the ability to do so. So mm-hmm. it is going to be Thomas out there probably on that island. I think he can. He will probably end up doing well in those situations, but he has to be confident with his footwork, and he's going to have to just mirror what Yannick ends up doing. Is Ngakwe, from I remember studying him when he was possibly going to be the Giants, he's incredibly flexible in his ankles and hips, right? 
Um, you know, honestly, I have not really seen the great bend from okay. Ngakwe. What, what, what I see from him is a, a, a very much a belief that one arm's longer than two, and he likes to pass rush with one arm and not get into two-handed pass rush situations. And almost never does a bull rush, so he, he translates from a one-armed chop move to a spin move sometimes. And he used the spin move for two sacks this last week. That's the first real sign of life he's had with the Ravens. He did have one other strip sack fumble, uh, strip sack. But uh, but otherwise, he hasn't really shown a whole lot, honestly, with the Ravens. He's been getting decent pressure, but not converting that to, to, to results in sacks. Second question is about Lemieux, though, and I do want to go back to him. I see the pass blocking grades are terrible on PFF, and that's really the only source I have to look to look for this. Uh, I... I Wonder now, how have the Giants stood up against teams that are really good at stunting? Have they been hitting that left A and B gap and giving them trouble? They, they've had a lot of trouble, but I want to touch on that that one real quick. Uh, he has looked bad on tape, but those PFF grades, like he had a zero this week, and he's had like a 12 before. They, mm-hmm. Among Giants fans and on Giants Twitter, a lot of people kind of talk about like how that is even quantified by PFF, uh-huh. but that's a discussion for another day. They struggle against double-sided stunts. They really struggled against the Cardinals with the double-sided stunts. I think on the season as a whole, they, they've been solid doing that with just transitioning off the stunts. I think Lemieux and Thomas specifically have done a pretty good job with communicating, ensuring that the pass-off is there, and then you know pushing off that inside foot and getting out to the looping defender. I don't think it's something that's been a huge liability, but then you look at you turn on that Cardinals tape, and you see it, you see it on both sides, and the transitions, especially on the right side with Zeitler and Cam Fleming and Zeitler and Parrott, when Parrott was in there on a couple of those, those were horrendous because the way the Cardinals did it was they pressed vertical up the B-gap, hard and then basically created a pick on cam fleming and zeitler can never really transition off of it and like i said before they would sugar the a gap a little bit to kind of keep zeitler there initially mm-hmm. look at that linebacker because they didn't have a running back in for that specific protection to kind of pick up that a gap pressure and then they would help me with that term for a second sugar the a gap does um, that mean like a, a, a simulated pressure with double a gap look back yes. off Yes, so you just basically go right into the A-gap right next to your nose, and you just look like you're blitzing, and you either come or you back off. And usually when you do that, it's both guys in the A-gap. Very common Ravens technique. (laughs) Yeah, it's going to be interesting because that's going to hold those guards in place. And if you guys do bring stunts through that B-gap, there might be some success, especially if you do it on both sides. And Nick Gates has to commit to one of those to assist one side of the line, and you kind of isolate the the other side. the line is still young, which we'll get into here in a little bit, because you have Andrew Thomas, you have Shane Lemieux, and then you have mm-hmm. Nick Gates, who's their starting center, and this is his first year being a center. The kid was an undrafted dude out of Nebraska who was a tackle back in 2018, and he came in this offseason. He was a swing lineman for us last year, the Giants. He played tackle, played one game at guard. Then he comes in and he's starting at center, which is incredibly hard to do, but he seems like he's really handled and mastered the mental side of it. I mean, with all things considered, I would say. My concerns with Gates was he would come in and he would struggle with odd fronts against bigger offense or defensive linemen who can use their strength against him and kind of get under his pads because he's like six foot five. But that hasn't really been a huge issue this year. He's been actually pretty solid. So I, I really like what Nick Gates does offer this offensive line. All right. So 
offensive line can be helped, of course, when a quarterback gets rid of the ball kind of quickly. That is not exactly what Jones does. He's kind of in the middle of the pack from next gen at 2.77 seconds. The Ravens have, have faced, and without any pass rush success, some of the really fast-paced guys in recent weeks. Phillip Rivers, Ben Roethlisberger a couple of times. Even Andy Dalton is pretty quick getting rid of the football and can hold down your pass rush. Uh, this is perhaps an opportunity for the Ravens pass rush to play some of their long game, where stunting takes a little longer, even blitzing uh, can can be more difficult and more time-consuming depending on how you delay it or come off come from off the line of scrimmage. I'm a little uh, concerned that Daniel Jones will even play this game. You guys might be seeing some Colt McCoy, to be honest. And it's funny, too, because Jason Garrett's offense, they run a lot of quick game. Like That's what they want to do. They want to kind of be bang-bang, a lot of slant-flat, a lot of stick route, a lot of spacing kind of concepts. Just get mm-hmm. the football out of Daniel Jones's hands quickly. And I think that was a product early because the offensive line struggled so much, but it's still kind of a staple. And teams have really adjusted to it, especially when they do the spacing concept where it's just basically quick curls to the the sticks usually and they do that on like third and short second and short sometimes it can kind of be a little bit unimaginative if if I'm going to be honest a lot of teams have just been sitting on that it's created some interceptions because when you're throwing a stick route to a player like Evan Ingram over the middle of the field Evan Ingram love the guy but he's not the most sure-handed dude so you hit him in the hands that ball gets popped up in the air and you have just defenders everywhere there's been I think two or three interceptions that have come off that alone so that's definitely not ideal for Daniel Jones but that's what I think they want to do through the past when they're not hit, trying to hit play action down the field, which they will run out there. And I think Freddie Kitchens did a good job implementing it a little bit more last week as the play caller because Jason Garrett was not there because he was on the COVID list. I think you're going to see probably a good amount of quick. All right. All right. Outstanding stuff. Good stuff. Always hear about the offensive line. That tell, Take us through the wide receivers. Uh, talk a little bit about what each brings to the offense. Yeah, so the, the wide receiving crew, they don't really have a true number one, if I'm going to be real. We hoped Darius Slayton was going to be that guy. But it hasn't really meshed perfectly. He looked really promising in Pat Shermer's offense. But with Jason Garrett's offense, again, I don't think it does the best job creating yards after the catch. And Slayton just has kind of looked a little bit out of it these last couple weeks. I kind of hope the Giants have money to sign Allen Robinson and Kenny Galladay. But I don't know if that's going to be realistic if we're going to be real. But with that said, Sterling Shepard, in my opinion, is the team's best wide receiver. He's the most precise route runner. He's tough over the middle has good hands, does a good job releasing off of the line of scrimmage, uses subtle head fakes, little hip movements, kind of up his stem to help just take advantage of cornerbacks and put himself into a better position. I think ideally he's a slot receiver, but he's been playing outside. Now he he switches for sure, but Golden Tate would be the de facto, I guess you could say, slot receiver on this team. Tate actually, I think he does a good job on those slot vertical routes, but athletically, it's just not really there. I just think he does a good job at the catch point, kind of using his body to shield Mm -hmm. defenders away from the ball and kind of go up and secure, make tough catches. That's kind of what Golden Tate is. But from an athletic standpoint, you can just tell he's definitely lost his step. But you see him out there in 11 personnel. And then there's Darius Slayton. Like I said, he hit that wall. The explosive play rate of the Giants in 2019 to 2020 has definitely dipped. And a big reason is because Slayton hasn't been as effective. And I think... In certain situations, he does a good job with his route running. I think in certain situations, he does a good job with his release off the line of scrimmage, but it's not exactly consistent. That would probably be my big knock with Darius Slayton. And I also think he's very good winning contested catch situations. I think that's something that he's shown. And I think there's a lot of building, a lot of tools that he possesses that you can build with. And then if we're going to talk also about Austin Mack, I guess I'll bring him up just because he plays a handful of snaps. He's more of a run blocking kind of guy, but every once in a while, they'll throw a deep play action 
pass to Austin Mack and a run look. So that's definitely something to pay attention to. He's like, he's an undrafted kid out of Ohio State. So I want to get a sense of the mix of 11 and 10 personnel if they, if they show that. Do they play 10 personnel ever when it's not third down? Have they ever choose to play 10 for an extended series of plays to take advantage of another defense? Because it is one of the things we're really concerned about. Very limited set of corners in Baltimore, and the big ones are hurt. Peters, Humphrey is healthy, thank, thank God, but Peters and uh, Smith are both hurt. That's the two and three corners, and we're down to not great depth there. The Steelers used a great uh, 10 personnel set of plays against them that really found the Achilles heel. Is that something the Giants are capable of doing? It wouldn't be a true 10 personnel because the receivers would be Caden Smith and Evan Ingram. But if you're asking, Mm -hmm. do they spread the field wide? Yes, the Giants will do that. They usually will have Deion Lewis, if it's a passing down situation, lined up out towards the boundary. And if they need him for protection, they'll motion him back. If not, they'll keep him out there if the protection all lines up, and then they will spread the field out. They do that, but that's not their identity by any means. Right. Have, have they been, as Jones or, or could McCoy be comfortable in uh, a relatively frequent or every down empty set look? I don't know if comfortable is, is reasonable <laughs> just because and I don't want to sit here and bash Colt McCoy, to be honest, sure. Ken, but he doesn't really have the ability to push the ball accurately vertically. Mm-hmm. He missed a ton of throws last week against the Browns. He made the nice back shoulder throw to Sterling Shepard. He had a really nice dig route where he threw with anticipation through zone coverage. I thought that was really good, but he's not going to be able to push the ball vertically. Daniel Jones can, and I think Daniel Jones can operate out of that well. But again, it's going to be tight ends that are going to be out there. Like You're not going to the, the Giants don't really line up too much with guys like C.J. Board. You'll see him in there, but usually if C.J. Board's in there, Austin Mack's not in there, and if they are both in there, then it's a, definitely a running play. So yeah, right. it, it's one of those kind of things. They love to come out with a personnel package, like 13 personnel, though, and then they'll run the football. You'll have your base. They won't substitute, and then they'll spread those guys out. It'll be Caden Smith, Levine hmm. Toy Lolo, and Evan Ingram. Because, I mean, Levine Toy Lolo doesn't really have the athletic ability. Caden Smith's a solid athlete, but he's not a great athlete. But Evan Ingram is essentially a wide receiver. So they try to create mismatches like that. Okay, so Ravens played a lot of 13 last year, so we're familiar with some of the games they're going to play with that. That flexibility of the tight end is so valuable. Mm-hmm. It was really the secret sauce for Lamar Jackson and the offense last year. And, you know, the Ravens are down to one tight end right now. And I, 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 this, we're, talk, we're supposed to talk about the Giants, but I really want to talk about this problem specifically for the Ravens fans. They don't know what to do with the extra eligible receiver right now. It's the weirdest thing because they don't have a bunch of receivers they really want to put on the field. I mean, the guy, extra guy they might be putting on the field for more plays would be Des Bryant. He's been totally unproductive. Uh, you know, they, they really have been putting on a sixth offensive lineman some. They've been putting on a blocking tight end that they'll never send out in the pattern, which, by the way, you might as well be putting on a sixth offensive lineman. You put him on the field if everybody knows that. Is that Eric Tomlinson? Uh, you know, Eric Tomlinson. Oh, uh, he was the Giants practice squatter right there. There you go. <laughs> so you know where, where he fits relatively on, on this team. But they really miss Hurst, and they really, really miss Nick Boyle and what he brought in terms of a guy who could both block and catch the football. But uh, they don't know what to do with this extra receiver. It's the weirdest thing. All of a sudden, they played nine pony backfields last week. Well, they, they didn't play any pony backfields in all of 2019. And it's just a function of not knowing how to scheme when you don't have multiple tight ends to deal with. 
That's wild, especially since you guys were so tight end heavy. When yes. I saw that, when I saw that Nick Boyle ended up going down, I knew that was going to be a gigantic yeah. loss for the run game and everything. But hey, Lamar Jackson ran for over 100 yards a couple games ago, so <laughs> yeah, it's that, incredible. And they scored, they've scored 121 points in three games now, basically without tight ends being any significant part of that. Andrews, other than Andrews, and that's that's remarkable for them. Absolutely, and with the Gi- okay. with the Giants, and if you want me to talk about the tight ends a little bit. Like I said, Caden Smith is going to be excellent on those as a blocker. Evan Ingram, somebody that you could probably they want to trust him as a blocker. Bless his heart, he tries, but he he's somewhat of a liability in that regard. I think he's definitely somebody that your edges can take advantage of if they're isolated on somebody like Evan Ingram. He just doesn't really have the frame to to hold up. And Levine Toy Lolo, he's somebody who actually caught a pass last week, but I wouldn't expect that too much. Mm-hmm. But you're going to see a lot of 12, a lot of 13 personnel, a lot of heavy personnel looks, some 22 personnel looks with Eli Penny, who will come in to be the fullback. Sometimes he'll be the H-back. You're going to see a lot of that from the Giants. All right. Tololo was one of the players that I looked at when Tony Jefferson came to the Ravens. I thought it was a very positive thing that he could cover Tololo, who's a much bigger player. Obviously, Tololo is about 6'8", right? Okay, so I thought it was a, a wonderful thing that he was able to do that. You know, a safety who can cover a really big tight end is a positive thing. But since he left Atlanta, he has not done a whole lot in terms of, of uh, catching the football, has he? No, he hasn't. I think he had maybe one catch, or maybe he was held catchless last year with the San Francisco 49ers, and then he had like one or two catches against the Detroit Lions. It, he, he's, been a, he's been a journeyman, so bless him, man. He's still in the NFL. He's actually has pretty good feet in pass protection, but he's so big and lumbering that all you need to do is push-pull him, and he's usually probably going to fall face first. <laughs> all right, so, uh, so let's talk about the running backs. Let's do it. Wayne Gallman. Since Saquon Barkley's injury, Wayne Gallman has actually filled in pretty admirably for Saquon Barkley. I think this Giants team is totally different if Saquon Barkley doesn't get injured on the offensive side. Not just because running, like, there's a big debate that running backs matter, all that. I think the explosive play rate goes up with Saquon Barkley. I think that's a given. But I think how teams play Daniel Jones also kind of definitely helped Daniel Jones because teams, whenever they play the Giants, they just focused on stopping Saquon Barkley. And without that, it's definitely kind of affected the offense as well, in my opinion as well as obviously the coordinator changes and stuff like that. But the Giants earlier this season, they signed Devonta Freeman, and they kind of went with that two-headed backfield of Gallman and Freeman. But Freeman's been on the IR, and he's been injured. And now it's kind of the Wayne show with a little bit of Alfred Morris. I know that sounds like it's 2012, but it's not. Alfred Morris is still in the (laughs) NFL, and he still actually scores touchdowns. He had two touchdowns a couple weeks ago, which was incredible. But Gallman, I love how he finishes runs he just does it with so much of authority, with so much physicality. He has enough burst and explosiveness to hit the holes quickly. He doesn't really have that deep speed, that breakaway type of speed. He's not that kind of player, but he's definitely somebody that I respect. I don't know if the Giants are going to retain him. He's another contract year player. He might go to a place where he can actually earn some snaps. He's probably not going to earn many with Saquon Barkley coming back healthy, but he's definitely a solid player, but you know he's not spectacular, I guess, if you want to quantify it that way. Alfred Morris brings a nice blend of vision, contact, balance, but doesn't have that much burst and can hit the hole hard. But once he gets to the second level, he's going to get tracked down. And that's kind of Alfred Morris's MO, but he knows how to hit the hole very, very quickly. And then Deion Lewis is the third down back. Deion Lewis is effective in pass protection, despite the fact that he's like five foot eight. He's actually pretty good at sticking his nose into 
linebackers getting into the A gap. You don't really want to trust him out on the edge sometimes, but sometimes when you're in shotgun, depending on the front, you have to. Doesn't You don't really see that as much. He's usually somebody either clogging the B gap or the A gap and picking up the blitzer. And uh, he's also a receiving back, and he's our kick returner, but he fumbles way too much. He had an explosive <laughs> kick return on Monday night fo- or Sunday night football against the Browns, and then he followed it up with the next kick return by fumbling the football. So that can't fly with Joe Judge, but he might still be that kick returner because of the veteran, the veteran value that he, I guess he brings to the team. <laughs> now I, I'm hearing this list of names, and as an analyst, this would I, this would just piss me off. I hear kind of your lip kind of curling up and a little bit of a <laughs> snarl here, and I can hear it over the thing. But you, you know, the, you know, there's so many veteran running backs on a team that has Saquon Barkley, and they can't you know do what the Ravens have done basically time after time, which is just basically get the next scheme fit from the practice squad. And make him their their you know give him a very substantial role. I mean that's what they did with Gus Edwards before him. It was Alex Collins and other players. And and so far the Giants have collected Dion Lewis, who's almost thirty one, Devonta Freeman, obviously a, you know been around the league a while, Alfred Morris, and I, you met, you mentioned another name in there too that was an older guy Wait. as well. Wayne Gallman. Wayne Gallman's still young. He's still on his rookie fourth contract. Yeah. yeah, he was a 2017 fourth round pick out of Clemson, and I like him, but I don't know how you know. I don't know his longevity with the team since he's going to be a free agent. And then you have Eli Penny, who's the fullback, and maybe he'll get a carry on short yardage every now and again. But he's Eli Penny. I think he's a good but, lead blocker, and he could be an H back on the pulling sometimes if Caden Smith needs to be spelled. But he's he's not like a huge threat as a running back, obviously, and doesn't have speed. To specifically address this, though, aren't you pissed off as an analyst that they would invest so many times in older running backs? See, the way I looked at the Deion Lewis thing, I actually didn't mind it because they brought him in, I think, to be a pass protector because Saquon Barkley really struggled with that last season. And if you just want to see the tape, you can go back to the Jets game. Him against Jamal Mm -hmm. Adams was really, really bad. Ended up with that touchdown where Jamal stripped Daniel Jones and ran it in because Saquon missed an assignment. He also missed another assignment in that game that was pretty bad. So I think Deion Lewis, they brought him in for that reason. He also knows Joe Judge. So I think there was familiarity there. Wayne Gallman, he was just a, a carryover from the Jerry Reese days. Devonta Freeman was a response to the injury of Saquon Barkley. We were kind of, as Giants fans and analysts, we were hoping that they would bring Javon Leak back, who was an undrafted kid out of Maryland, who a lot of your listeners might be familiar with. He was in the practice squad with the Giants, didn't end up making the team, and now he's somewhere else in the NFL. But a lot of us wanted him because he had playmaking ability, and he had breakaway speed, and things that the Giant, these Giants running backs do not have. And Alfred Morris just kind of came out of nowhere, to be honest. And they still kind of give him run. And you know what? He hasn't been terrible out there. He hits the hole. He knows where to go. And again, this is power gap, so that's a little bit more simple than something like zone, which is something Alfred Morris made a living running in the past with the Shanahan's. But yeah, I, I can probably say I wish there was some young guys in here who could really, you know, hit the A gap and go or hit the B gap and then go break away and make defenders really, really miss and then have that speed to take it to the house because none of these guys are that. All right. We got to move on to the defense here. I, this is great talk, though. I love the love all the detail we're getting here. I like to start off on the defensive side with what are the most common base run and pass defense looks. So specifically, on early downs versus 11 and early downs versus 12, what do the Giants generally have in in terms of a package? And then second part of this is on passing downs when the other team is playing 11, when the, when the Ravens, will say, are playing 11, what would you expect the Giants to have on the field in terms of the defensive backs and pass rushers? Yeah, so against 11 personnel, they'd probably be in the... See, last, last game was a little bit different the way they played the Cleveland Browns because they... 
usually Leonard Williams, Dalvin Tomlinson, and Dexter Lawrence will kind of their their snaps will be divvied out differently. Last week they were all very very similar. They wanted all three of them on the field. So I'm going to speak to what Patrick Graham did through the entire season. It's probably going to be a lot of multiple defensive looks. It's going to be three four on base on heavier personnel, but you're going to see. 325, you're going to see 316. A lot of defensive mm-hmm. backs out there because. So, a fair amount of dime. Yes, fair amount of dime. You're going to see some nickel. You're going to see tight fronts, odd fronts, bare fronts, even. It's a little bit different than bare. So, because the four eye shade, it's, it's going to be a four eye shade to the strength and not that three technique. But the Giants love to use that to kind of clog up all the interior gaps and then they flow to the football from there. And I would say expect. Two three six two four five on early downs. Again, they're going to run that tight look. There's going to be a lot of safeties in the box. You're going to see Xavier McKinney in the slot. You're going to see him kind of creeping down in the box. You're going to see Jabril Peppers also down in the box quite often. There's been a lot of injuries recently, so the Giants have kind of tried to be tried to patch a lot of this together. If I'm going to be honest, mm-hmm. because they had Lorenzo Carter, they had they had all these hopes for these guys, and then a lot of these guys ended up getting injured. And now you have David Mayo playing on the edge. And you have to play in your 3-4 look, Devontae Downs, next to Blake Martinez or Tay Crowder. And I think Tay Crowder is a much better player than Devontae Downs, even though he was Mr. Irrelevant this past season. But Mm -hmm. you still sometimes have to have both those guys on the field. You'll put Tay Crowder on the edge, and that puts Devontae Downs there, and he's an absolute liability. So they're still trying to kind of patch it together, in my opinion, in terms of their fronts. But I would expect 2-4-5. I would expect 3-4 and a dime look against any kind of passing type of type of obvious defense. passing 11, down. Yes. Yeah. And on obvious passing downs, but they use their safeties like linebackers sometimes, man. They really, they, it's a true like second level defense kind of thing. And a lot of those guys will end up being blitzers near the line of scrimmage. A lot of disguised coverages, a lot of trap coverages. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's, that's, that's interesting. I think Ravens fans can relate to that in terms of McKinney. You mentioned him playing slot. Is that where they have him now? He's at slot corner. They have Logan Ryan on the back end now. So Logan Ryan was always on the back end. The slot corner the entire season has been Darnay Holmes, but he has a knee injury. And I think he was limited in practice, so there's hope that he'll be back this week. He missed the last two games. Xavier McKinney was just getting his feet wet with the defense until until that until that injury happened, and then he was kind of forced into the slot. So that's where they've been playing Xavier McKinney, and not exclusively, though, because mm-hmm. they Patrick Graham uses all these guys interchangeably. Xavier McKinney was dropping middle-of-the-field closed looks as the center fielder. Uh, last game as well so they're not really don't they don't fit perfectly into one role they all kind of switch and then they have like one role I guess that they do a little bit more than the others but between Julian Love Xavier McKinney Logan Ryan Jabril Peppers they'll all do uh, different kind of assignments to kind of keep that defense guessing okay that's 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 different. So there's no there's no pure dime back on the team. There's no guy who is limited maybe to a short area zone coverage skill that makes him more like a third down linebacker dime back. If there is one, it would be Jabril Peppers. But there are times where the Giants will run inverted cover two and he'll drop to a deep half. And mm-hmm. Logan Ryan will be that single high pre-snap drop to be the Tampa 2 robber in that situation. So they'll, they'll, they'll vary it up. But if there's one to definitely choose, I would say it would be Jabril Peppers. Okay. All right. Well, very good. So let's take some time, go through the individual position groups, start with the defensive line and and kind of how those snaps are being allocated. You've mentioned some difficulty already in terms of rotation on that line. Talk a little bit about that and in terms of how you think snaps are being managed there. Rotation is a big, big deal in Baltimore. We we just 
are agog at other teams wanting a player on the field 80% or 90% of the snaps. So Leonard Williams gets the most snaps. Last game, he had, I think, the same amount of snaps as Dexter Lawrence, but it was incredibly close. But Leonard Williams would dominate the snaps. Yeah, Leonard Williams dominates snaps, gets the most snaps. Last game, they used, I think, Dexter Lawrence the same amount as Leonard Williams, but that hasn't been consistent. Usually it's Leonard Williams getting the most, then Dexter Lawrence, then Dalvin Tomlinson. Usually Dexter and Dalvin, they'll, they'll, one of them will be two, the other one would, would be three. That's not necessarily consistent because those two are both high-level players. But then there's the fourth lineman, which is B.J. Hill. B.J. Hill gets a solid amount of rotation, gets about 20 snaps per game. They'll use him as a three-tech. They'll put him out as a four-eye shade sometimes. Introducing the Lowe's List for Innovation. While our aisles are filled with innovative products, we've selected our favorites just for you. Like the exclusive Whirlpool washer with industry-first two-in-one removable agitator. We love this washer because you can customize any load. And with other smart features to streamline your laundry routine, this product is a must-have for families. Shop the full Lowe's list of top picks at Lowe's.com. Lowe's, home to any budget, home to any possibility. U.S. only. All right, we're back after a little bit of technical difficulty there. Got a really good run-through on the defensive interior for the Giants. Obviously, the strength of this team. Let's move on to the edge where you had some trepidations up front in the show, Nick, about uh, who the Giants now have there. Yeah, so the Giants are starting a lot of inexperienced guys, a lot of day three picks there, a lot of some undrafted guys as well. And they're also rotating their linebackers down the edge because they're so thin. They signed Jabal Sheard off the Jaguars practice squad a few weeks back, and he's actually been a pretty solid addition. He's more of a power rusher than anything else, and he's actually really good against the run. He's very, very stout at the point of attack, and he can set an edge, uh, I would say, at a pretty high level, to be honest. Just very, very strong type of player, but he's not someone who's going to win finesse or speed. And they may be getting Kyler Fackrell back this week. Another player who's a good edge-setting edge player not necessarily a great pass rusher he had a 10 sack season with the Packers back in 2018 haven't really necessarily seen that quite this year it's I think three sacks on the season a lot of them are more scheme based from tackle end stunts and end tackle stunts mm-hmm. and him kind of coming free because the offensive line had to pay attention to Leonard Williams who is more of a dominant force and best overall pass rusher on the team but I'm going to be concerned watching Orlando Brown, who outweighs Carter Coughlin by about 120 pounds in the run <laughs> game. That's something that I'm, that I'm definitely going to be a little uh, concerned about for sure. I think we may be seeing David Mayo a little bit more on the edge just to kind of shore up those edges if initially they start running at Carter Coughlin and it doesn't work because the DJ Flukers and the Orlando Browns of the world are just blowing him off the line of scrimmage because Carter Coughlin's 235 pounds, has a lot of speed, has some twitch, has some flexibility, also has really short arms. So that's not really a recipe for success mm-hmm. for the New York Jets. The, the, the Ravens have done a lot of their running this year uh, in a different manner from last. Last year they relied on the pistol and did a lot of the read option with Jackson going to the outside leaving an unblocked edge defender and having Jackson beat that guy. I'm theorizing that Jackson groin injury earlier this year has limited his lateral movement. And now they're working more with the sidecar formation. 
and having uh, Dobbins, who's a faster back, uh, run to the outside a lot of the time. Usually when Edwards is in, it is more commonly from the pistol formation, and they'll run a more traditional kind of a Jackson run look you'd be used to from 2019. But it's interesting that the way you're describing the Giants' edges here, it may be that the Ravens will try and probe a bit more there, maybe do a little bit more zone and a little bit more outside running uh, uh, from the sidecar formation. Possibly. The Giants against Russell Wilson and the Seahawks, those edge defenders, Carter Coughlin specifically, was incredibly disciplined. He wasn't biting down at all whenever Russell Wilson mm-hmm. would go into some sort of zone read. He stuck where he needed to be on play-action bootlegs, and it actually put Russ into a lot of pretty bad situations. Hoping that they have that discipline. I'm sure Patrick Graham, who was an excellent teacher by all accounts, is really instilling that with these guys that you have to play fundamental and disciplined football against a team like the Baltimore Ravens who used Mm -hmm. All right. Well, that's that's terrific. Take us to the linebacker core now. Go across. We want to know a lot about platooning. You mentioned they use the dime a fair amount, but talk talk us through the the linebackers and how their snaps are allocated. Blake Martinez and James Bradbury, a corner we'll get into in a little bit, are arguably the two best free agent signings the Giants have had since Entrell Roll back in 2010. Blake Martinez, what he's done for the New York Giants defense is something that we have not seen in such a long time. A linebacker who can scrape, who plays that cat and mouse game with the running backs and is just knows exactly where to be and when to be there. He does an excellent job doing that. He's a Pro Bowl type player. He didn't make the Pro Bowl, but in my opinion, he is a Pro Bowl player. And then the other linebackers, I mean, you have Tay Crowder, he's Mr. Irrelevant. I think he's shown... A solid ability to come downhill, fill his gap, do well, kind of keeping his chest clean and, and getting into his run fit at a, at a solid rate. But in zone coverage, he doesn't really get a lot of depth. He can be high load a lot with underneath routes. That's something that kind of puts a lot of stress on the corners and the safeties in their cover three base kind of look a lot of the times because there's big voids behind Tay Crowder. And David Mayo does the same thing. I really don't want to see David Mayo on the field, but the Giants linebackers are pretty weak right now, and he's actually an upgrade probably over Devontae Downs. It's up in the air. Downs led a touchdown to Austin Hooper on Sunday Night Football where he had absolutely no idea that there was a route concept behind him and this mm-hmm. was on like the two-yard line. <laughs> it's just no feel for the game whatsoever or no awareness. So whenever you see 52 out there, 55 out there, it's somewhat of a liability, and you have to kind of be happy when you see 48 out there. And anytime you see a linebacker in the 40s, you shouldn't be happy by any means. That's not you know sexy at all. But that's Mr. Irrelevant. That's Tate Crowder. So in the four, in the four, in the three four looks, having those two linebackers be Tate Crowder and Blake Martinez is actually a good thing. But honestly, Giants dropping Jabril Peppers down, using a lot more dime, and then just kind of relying on. Blake Martinez, and then either Nico Lalos, Cam Brown, or Carter Coughlin as those edge defenders in passing situations. Probably something that we're going to see a little bit more, especially in those passing situations, because I think, again, Coughlin might be a big liability in the run. All right. All right. So I, I don't know how many times I've talked about the Ravens linebackers and said that same thing. I have no idea what's going on behind them in terms of pass coverage. I, have they had some difficulty biting on play action? Somewhat. I think Blake Martinez has done a good job, and when he does bite down, he bails actually pretty quickly, flips his hips, and gets back to a to a depth. Especially when they're he doesn't really bite down when they're in that Tampa two kind of uh, look, middle of the field open. Even though it's kind of close because Tampa two, you're dropping to a pretty deep depth. But I would say with the play action, those other linebackers that I listed that I'm not as confident as they they definitely do. Devontae mm-hmm. Downs definitely does. It takes him about a full second to realize that the ball wasn't handed off before he drops <laughs> to that depth. And then again, that just puts the safeties into a really bad spot. 
All right, definitely a staple of the Ravens is that play-action game. Take us through the secondary again. Now, obviously, some guys that we're a little bit jealous of you having in the, in the safety position in particular. Tell us about that. So Logan Ryan, I would say, is the, the guy who helps set the coverages. I think he does an excellent job wrap coverages as a robber and slice coverage, kind of baiting the quarterback to throw the football into one specific spot. The thing about Patrick Graham's defense in general is he's going to show you something totally different pre-snap and then rotate it to post-snap. And all these guys are interchangeable and they all have specific skill sets to that, that can be replicated by the other guy. Again, I think players like Jabril Peppers are more meant for that dime linebacker type of role, but I still feel these players are somewhat interchangeable, which keeps offense guessing. Logan Ryan is just incredibly smart, incredibly tough. Gets to the catch point. He's very physical there. Also tries to force fumbles all the time. The Giants will try to hold guys up, and then they'll come in with the punch of the football to try to get the football out. Hopefully the Giants can do that against you guys. We'll see. So I really have a lot of great things to say about Logan Ryan, as do I with Jabril Peppers, who's very, very physical, great alley defender coming downhill and filling, very good open field tackler as well. I feel like the Giants as a whole, as a defense, have done a great job tackling this year, which they did not do last year. And it's going to be put to the test again against Lamar Jackson and some of these elusive playmakers that the Ravens have. But Jabril is definitely an excellent playmaker. don't think he's being talked about enough, but he's, he's been great this season for the New York Giants. Julian Love, who was a cornerback in college, actually played corner last week because James Bradbury was on the COVID-19 list, didn't have the virus, but mm-hmm. he was a close, close contact. contact. Yep, yep. So Julian Love kind of struggled in that role. He's been playing a lot of the middle of the field closed, deep single high or deep cover three type of safety role. Hasn't really made a lot of great plays. I think it's been kind of a step back year as he adjusted to this Patrick Graham system. Adrian Colbert's another player who the Giants just got off IR, and they actually like using him in that role as well. So Julian Love and Colbert will probably be switched. And then there's the corners. You have Darnay Holmes, who hopefully will be back. Kid out of UCLA, fourth-round pick. I actually think he has had a really underrated season. Very, very quick. Never seems to be scared or intimidated or anything like that by the game. Very, very aggressive, despite the fact that he's like five foot eight, hardly. Maybe five nine. Maybe I'm being a little disrespectful, but he's a smaller guy and he's very, very physical. A lot of these defenders are Isaac Yadam, the other cornerback who plays on the boundary. Very, very physical and run support. Not the best in man coverage. I think a big reason why Patrick Graham, who ran a lot of man coverage with the Dolphins, doesn't run it with the Giants is because the Giants don't have the personnel to run man coverage effectively. I think Yadam would get beat a lot on the horizontal crossers. We saw that in week one against the Pittsburgh Steelers. Juju Smith-Schuster just kind of ran crossers and Isaac Yadam couldn't cover him. Same with Deontay Johnson. It was a struggle for for the Giants, so they switched to a much heavier zone scheme, and that's probably what you're going to see a lot of, a lot of zone coverage. In short yardage, you know, when coverage really needs to be tight, it'll probably be man. And that kind of helps guarding someone like Lamar Jackson when you're in zone yes. and everybody's watching the quarterback in spot drop zone, zone match they also run, which is somewhat of a variation off of man coverage. And Yidem, I, I think he's he's done better than – what I expected. When I saw that the Giants traded for him, I wasn't all that excited after I watched his Denver tape, but he's filled in nicely, but he's a player that the Giants need to upgrade over, in my opinion, in the offseason. Then you have James, James Bradbury, who's been absolutely phenomenal for this defense. You could see that they missed them last week for sure, and he's just a true number one corner, made the Pro Bowl, deserves it, very, very disruptive at the catch point, always in phase, very, very instinctive with route combinations and reads the route 
combinations very, very well off the line of scrimmage. And they run a lot of switch coverages, a lot of banjo type of coverages. And in those situations, he comes downhill precisely by reading the quarterback and kind of getting to that catch point. He's forced several turnovers Mm -hmm. by doing so. So he's definitely a player to worry about. And I'm actually excited to see how he matches up against someone like Hollywood Brown, who's a burner. That's uh, that'll be interesting to see. Obviously, in terms of the play action game, one of the things that you're you're talking about here that maybe concerns me is playing zone against that, which is normally a good thing, particularly if the linebackers are taking too many read steps to get a tight end open over the middle of the field. But the thing that can combat that are robber concepts and other things where you you get underneath coverage by switching coverages from from outside in. And if they do some of that, or even from the back to front, uh, you know, you have opportunities then to to get underneath those routes and create problems. And Jackson, I, I think he's been extremely good, generally speaking, about throwing the ball in safe spots, uh, but he hasn't been as good this year as he was last year. Yeah, it doesn't also seem like, and I wanted to ask you this, what's the explosive play rate for, for the Ravens this season? I remember just last year, there were so many, it's just been right. down. What's the reasoning for that? Well, the offensive line is not as good. There's no two ways about that. They have finally found the five guys, and they've had them for about the last three games in the right place. And I think that's that's been the biggest obstacle to overcome. But they, they lost Ronnie Stanley, and they lost Marshall Yanda, and that's two pro bowlers, uh, you know, Yanda, a Hall of Famer, who, who are gone. Uh, and it's just it's it's very difficult without those guys. Orlando Brown is pretty good at left tackle, and he's remarkable for being a you know kind of a slow-footed right tackle. That he's been able to disguise a lot of his weaknesses, moving over to the left side and being pretty good. The rest of the guys are all guys that they had a lot of bodies on the interior offensive line, but they couldn't figure out exactly how to align them. And they finally have got that figured out, and I think they've got a pretty good five-man group that can take them into the playoffs if if they in fact can get there. That would be great for you guys. I mean, I wish the Giants would get there. I'm not not overly confident, despite the fact the NFC East is still up in the air. All right. Really appreciate you joining us here, Nick. This is terrific, terrific depth, and I think uh, you know the technical nature of what you deliver. I think our fans will really appreciate and uh, and appreciate you going. On. It's it's funny when you talk to somebody who uses a little bit different terminology than you used to, and I have to ask you things like sugaring the a gap. I, I can guess what that means, but I've never heard that exact term before. But uh, anyway, great stuff, Nick. We really appreciate having you on, and uh, and hope you can come back again in four years when they play the Giants again. Is there any other team you follow closely? No, the Giants are my main football team that I do end up following. And uh, I work for Big Blue View, Sports Illustrated, have the Big Blue Banter podcast. So I'm really in-depth with this team. But I try to watch film on a lot of teams that I'm just interested in. I've done a kind of a somewhat deep dive into the Ravens film a little bit just to kind of get a feel for the opponent. All right. Now, if you if you, people want to contact you, is Twitter the easiest way? Or do you give out an email? Or how do you like to be contacted? At Twitter, it would just be Nick Falato. I don't have the NFL. I'm not that cool yet. And Falato is just <laughs> F-A-L-A-T-O. Okay. Well, that's easy enough to remember. Josh, what do you have to say? All right. Well, we want to remind people about using the code RAVENS over at MyBookie. As I've been telling you all week, They've been giving stuff away all week leading up to Christmas, so make sure you go on over there and use the promo code RAVENS where they will match you halfway, giving you a head start on building your bankroll. So if you put in $200, they'll give you an extra $100 to play with for free. So head on over there and have some fun this weekend with all the games and my bookie using the code RAVENS. Maximum is still $500 on 1000 or is it now? Is it less now? 
Yeah, if you deposit a thousand, they'll give you five hundred. Yep. All right. We don't want to encourage any kind of uh, you know degenerate gambling, but it is an opportunity to max out those dollars, and some people really want that. So we do want to let you know what that is. Uh, normal content still coming up on Film Study Baltimore this week. Uh, we still have an offensive line article that'll come out approximately at the same time as this podcast. A by the numbers episode uh, tomorrow with my partner Dan Dan Reese on that, uh, which we're looking forward to and. Uh, Charts and graphs now up in the gallery. Take a look at those. Uh, good stuff. And uh, we have Brent Dawson producing some wonderful new materials for us there, as well as the offensive line graphs uh, that have the game-by-game scoring. Right. And offensive podcast is out. Defensive podcast is out. The Situation Room is out. And Section 336 all out this week. Lot what do you got as a new content? Your, what's your content on 336 this week? Uh, Matt became a doctor this week. He got his doctorate on Monday afternoon, right before we recorded the show. So, uh, what's, what's it in? It's in like English studies or something, education, something like that. Okay. All right. Well, one of us, big congratulations there. So we, uh, focused some on that. And, uh, of course we had to talk Ravens after last week and Orioles talk. Orioles are getting excited right now. So a lot of time focused on them because, uh, it can't get worse. (laughs) there's only one direction to go huh exactly all right nick thanks again for joining us we really appreciate it and josh thank you guys all right we'll talk to you next time on film study introducing the lowe's list for innovation While our aisles are filled with innovative products, we've selected our favorites just for you. Like the exclusive Whirlpool washer with industry-first two-in-one removable agitator. We love this washer because you can customize any load. And with other smart features to streamline your laundry routine, this product is a must-have for families. Shop the full Lowe's list of top picks at Lowe's.com. Lowe's, home to any budget, home to any possibility. U.S. only. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.